Katie, thank you so much. Uh, welcome. Good morning. Hey, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, why don't you grab them at this point in time, and uh, you can turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, and then if you want to place your finger in the book of Acts, we will be looking at Luke chapter 11, and then select verses in the, the, the book of Acts. We've been in our sermon series this fall on the spiritual disciplines, uh, learning to train ourselves to be godly. Last week, we looked at the spiritual discipline of private prayer, or closet praying, if you will. And this morning, we turn the page to look at corporate prayer, or praying with company. Now, if any of you out there are Cubs fans, and you've been, I see a few uh, jerseys in, in, the, in the gallery back there. Um, if any of you are Cubs fans, you probably have been practicing this discipline, even without knowing it, as you watch the games, right? Doing some corporate praying for uh, your favorite team uh, to win. And lo and behold, the Lord answers prayers, does he not? Uh, praying with company, the discipline of corporate prayer. I hope you're there in Luke chapter 11. Let's pray and we'll dive in. Father, we pray this morning that you would be with us as we open your holy and inspired, altogether infallible and trustworthy word. Father, it is a privilege for us to open this book that sits in our laps and to hear directly from you. This word is inspired. It is God-inspired. It is God-breathed. Your letter of instruction and love to us. And you teach us many things. This morning, we turn to look at the teaching and example of your son and that of the early church as we look at, Father, what it means for us to pray together as followers of Christ, coming together in unison to seek your face. Lord, we see it happening time and time again. And we see that you respond to corporate prayer time and time again. So, Father, speak to us through your word. Show us the great power and privilege that it is to pray to you, both in our own prayer closet and then joining uh, hands and hearts together, praying with others. Father, stir us so that we might be desirous and willing to pray with company. We ask it in the name of Jesus, our Lord our Savior, our King, and our great God. And all of God's people said together, Amen. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but I think some people naturally have the gift of hospitality. They really enjoy having people in their homes and uh, providing meals and refreshments and, and, and entertainment and, and those sort of things. And then some of us are, are not so gifted at that. We have to work at it. It's, it's a bit of a struggle and, and kind of awkward. You know, having company over at your house, particularly for an extended stay, maybe having folks over for dinner, um, it takes a bit of work, doesn't it? It takes more preparation more intentionality, more planning than just having somebody kind of pop in unexpectedly for maybe coffee or tea or maybe even dessert, right? It takes preparation. It takes a little bit more work, more planning. You have to buy the right food and you have to have enough food, right? You may have to provide multiple meals if you have family in for the weekend or for a week, something like that. You have to host, you have to entertain, and some of you naturally do that well, and some of us not so much. But this one thing is true, while having company over for a meal or an extended uh, time of fellowship, it takes more work, it often comes with more benefits 
as well, right? You get to enjoy an extended time with your family or your friends. Your conversations might be deeper and more significant. And maybe, if you have good house guests, you might even have help cooking or cleaning. You create memories that last for a lifetime. You know, as we think about private prayer versus corporate prayer, I think the same principle applies. Because praying with company, praying with other Christians, takes more work. It takes more discipline, more effort than private prayer. But its benefits often far exceed its cost. Mathis, once again in his book, Habits of Grace, says this about corporate prayer. You can see it on the slide behind me. He says, the high point of all pervasive prayer is outside the closet door, is praying with other Christians. He says, arranging for accompaniment in prayer takes more energy than a whispered prayer while on the move. It takes planning and initiative and the sinking of schedules in a way that private prayer does not. But it is worth every ounce of effort. And so, he says, we have at least two fronts to a healthy prayer life. Two two fronts to a healthy prayer life. We pray personally and in secret, and we pray corporately, resisting the privatization of our prayers, not just by asking others to pray for us, but especially by having others pray with us. See, last week we talked about praying in the closet, private prayer. And today we're going to move into praying with others, praying with company, if you will, or corporate prayer. See, you can't have one without the other. Or maybe better said, you shouldn't have one without the other. Because John Franklin once said this, he said, focusing on the personal prayer life only would be equivalent to, tr- to trying to, to fly a, a plane only with one wing. You can't fly a plane with one wing, and yet so many of us as Christians, we try to have uh, a private prayer life, and yet this second front, this second wing, if you will, of corporate prayer oftentimes is desperately missing. So, this is what we're going to do this morning. Three uh, segments to our sermon. First of all, we're going to look at Jesus Christ and his company at Jesus Christ and his company out of Luke chapter 11, right? And we are going to see that Jesus both prayed with his disciples and he prayed uh, amongst his disciples. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior and example, practiced uh, a corporate prayer. Secondly, we'll turn to the book of Acts and we will look at the church and their company and ask the question, did the early church, did the first Christians Follow the example of Jesus. Did they join together for corporate prayer? And then third, we'll finish up by seeing seven prophets of praying with company. That is, what are seven benefits that follow when a local church group of Christians decide to join together in prayer? So let's begin in Luke chapter 11. I hope you have your Bibles open to it. You can follow on the screen behind me and take a look at Christ and his company. See, I think if there was any person, if there was any person that really would have been okay, spiritually speaking, without regular corporate prayer, 
It probably would have been Jesus, but that's not what we see at all. Throughout the Gospels, we get glimpses of Jesus, of course, praying privately. We looked at that last Sunday, but we also see him praying both around his disciples and with his disciples. And not only that, we see Jesus teaching his disciples to pray together. So in Luke chapter 11, let's take a look at that this morning. We see Jesus praying around his disciples, teaching them to pray corporately. Having observed his own private prayer life, uh, his disciples come to him and they have a question for him. They say, Master, teach us how to pray. Luke 11 verse 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. So I I, I can see it in my mind. It's early in the morning, right? The sun is just arising. Uh, The disciples wake up and the campfire is, 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 the embers are still going and they look around. They're looking for Jesus and they can't find him. And one of them says, I know where he's at. He's where he's always at. He's over alone. He's in a a desolate place. He's praying. And so one of them, this unnamed disciple, goes off and finds Jesus praying by himself. And they are so impressed and so, so struck by the private prayer life of Jesus. They say, Lord, will you teach us to do this? Will you teach us to pray? Now, what is often overlooked in what follows, it's typically called the Lord's Prayer, right? The disciples' prayer, if you will, is that Jesus does teach them how to pray, but he doesn't teach them to pray in private terms. He doesn't use private terms or individual terms, but have you ever thought about the language in the Lord's Prayer? It's not a private prayer, It is a corporate prayer. Jesus uses terms like our and we and us, right? So just just think about it with me in your head, right? He teaches them to pray, our Father, does he not? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, right? On earth as it is in heaven. And then what is he teaching them to pray? Give uh, us, right? Give us our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. Lead us not into temptation. Give, right? You see the point? Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. And in teaching them to pray, he teaches them to pray together, does he not? This clearly demonstrates that Jesus intended his followers then and today, me and you, those of us who name the name of Christ, he teaches them and he teaches us to pray corporately. Because I don't think we can pray this prayer the way Jesus taught it alone in our prayer closets, right? We pray it together. So we see Jesus both modeling this for us. He prayed with his disciples. He prayed amongst his disciples, and he taught his disciples to pray together. But not only that, We see the early church, his disciples, and then the men and the women and the children that came to believe in Jesus Christ through their message. We see that they also got it, right? They learned what Jesus both modeled and taught as the church and its company prayed together. They prayed together, starting in Acts chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles open, turn with me. Just a few chapters. you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then you find the book of Acts. And we're going to be looking at select verses throughout the, the book of Acts. So you can turn there in your Bibles. You can follow me uh, on the screen behind me. But we'll begin in the beginning. Starting in Acts chapter 1, after Jesus had ascended into heaven. 
we see the disciples gather together in the city of Jerusalem. They're waiting for the promised Holy Spirit, just as Jesus had instructed them. And in verse 14, we see this. Luke tells us, They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So friends, from the, from the very beginning of the church, right? From the very beginning of the book of Acts, we see that the early church was marked and characterized, if you will, by corporate prayer. So let me ask you a question. Shouldn't every local church follow their example? I mean, if the early church was characterized by coming together for corporate prayer, should not our church, should not every Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church follow their example? I think this is something we can do better. I think it's something we should do better. Now, it doesn't have to be all of us together. Maybe it's your Sunday school class praying together. Maybe it's the women's Bible study praying together. Maybe it's your small group praying together. That counts, and it should be done. But... We can do it together, corporately, better. So let me challenge you on this. Let me challenge you to consider what it might look like for us as a church to do this more often, more regularly, whether that's on Sunday mornings as we gather together. Maybe that's uh, one Sunday morning a month in lieu of Sunday school. Maybe that's in between church and Sunday school. I don't know what that could look like. But friends, let me ask you, to spend some time praying to the Lord, seeking his face, and and asking him, what might it look like for us as a church to come together and not just pray individually? We should be praying individually, right? Finding our closet. But what does it look like for us to come out of the closet and pray together as a church, as the early church did? Well, we see it not only in chapter 1, but moving on uh, just a few verses into verse 24. We see it again. Peter initiates the replacing of Judas Iscariot. And we see the church asking for God's discernment in this. Chapter 1, verses 24 and 25. It says, Then they prayed, excuse me, Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two, these two men, you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry which Judas left to go where he belongs. So here's the point. The church, they faced an important decision early on in the life of the church. And what did they do? Did they just take a vote? Did they just say, uh, I think this guy, I think that guy? No. What did they do? They came together and they prayed on matters and decisions in the life of the church. So let me ask you this. Should we not do the same? When we have decisions to make, should we not come together and seek the Lord's face? Most certainly we should. Well, moving into chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, we see that Pentecost comes. The Holy Spirit falls on the disciples, just as Jesus said. Peter preaches through the Holy Spirit, and 3,000 people are added to the church the very first day. You have the first megachurch right there in Acts chapter 2. And we see, moving on in chapter 2, verse 42, Luke summarizes the characteristics of this early church. What did the early church look like? What was it marked by? Well, we see, amongst other things, it was marked by praying together. Verse 42, it says, They they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. It's not surprising. We've seen them praying together already, right? So the, the early church continued to pray together. Move ahead a few chapters to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, we see that 
the Jewish Sanhedrin starts to put a little pressure on the church. They arrest Peter, they arrest John, and they prohibit these two apostles from speaking the name of Jesus. They threaten them only to release them. And we see that these two apostles return back to the church, report to the church what had happened. And how do you think the early church responded to the very first persecution that it faced? Did they get all huffy? You think they talked about their rights? They sought the Lord's face in prayer. Notice, let's take a look at chapter 4 and verse 24, and skipping ahead to verse 31. When they heard this, that is the report of their persecution, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled by the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So not only did the early church pray together regularly, but when opposition, hostility came their way, they sought the Lord's face in prayer. Church, as we increasingly face hostility in our culture and even from the government, how should we respond? Well, there's lots of ways we should respond, but we must not not respond in prayer. Moving along, chapter 6. In Acts chapter 6, we see a discrepancy. There's a a little bit of a church fight in Acts chapter 6. Lest you think the early church was perfect, it was not. There was a church fight, and the first church fight is recorded in Acts chapter 6. There's a a discrepancy in the daily food allotment between the Jewish widows and the Greek widows, right? One sect was getting more food than the other, apparently, and it caused a fight. And so what did the apostles do? They gathered together trustworthy men, and they appointed them, in my opinion, as the first deacons of the church to handle the situation. When those men were chosen, what did the apostles do? In chapter 6, verse 6, we see the apostles prayed for the ministry of these men. Notice, they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them, right? So a church fight happens. They appoint the first ministry to serve within the local church. And how did they kick it off? They kicked it off in prayer, right? They prayed for those ministering within the local church. So let me ask you, how is your prayer life for the ministries in this church? Whether it's Sunday school classes, classes, women's Bible studies, men's Bible studies, youth group, Awana, Threads of Hope. We can name several others. The early church prayed for the ministries within the church. Friends, should we not be doing the same corporately? Well, as we progress along in the book of Acts, take a look at chapter 12. Move just a a few chapters ahead. In Acts chapter 12, we see that persecution which began earlier in in, in the book began to heighten as King Herod arrests Peter, and he intends to kill him. So the situation is dire. The the leader of the early church, the man who preached the sermon and 3,000 souls got saved, he's sitting in a jail cell awaiting to have his head lopped off. So how does the early church respond? What do you think they did? They prayed, right? They prayed. We see it in Acts chapter 12, verse 5. We see that the church was, quote, earnestly praying to God for him. So the early church has a prayer meeting. And maybe you're familiar with the story. God sends an angel. He awakens Peter, and he says, come on out of here. Peter walks out of jail, scot-free. Nobody knows, and he comes to, and he says, well, I'm going to go find the church. They're praying for me. And he goes, and he, he knocks on the door, right? 
and there's a, there's a young girl that comes to the door, right? And he says, hey, it's me. And she says to everyone who's, who, who's praying, right, in the house, what does she say? Peter's here. Peter's here, right? Our prayer has been answered. And do you remember how the people who were praying for Peter to be released responded? Remember what they said? First thing they said, quote, you are out of your mind. That's the first thing they said. Young lady, you're crazy. Number two, they said, quote, it must be his angel, right? No, no, Herod's already, already killed him, and somehow it's the ghost or angel of Peter. So let me ask you this question. The early church gathered together to pray for Peter's release. God answered their prayer, and he comes to the door where they're praying, and did they believe that God would answer their prayer? It seems to me that the answer is no. They did not believe that God would answer their prayer. You know what? This is encouraging to me. They were being faithful to do what they were supposed to do. And even their faith was not, well, it wasn't perfect, but the Lord still answered their prayer. That encourages me. I don't know about you, because when I pray, my faith isn't always where it should be. But God answers even those prayers. You know, it reminds me of a a story that I uh, came across this week. It's a story of a, of a small town, maybe much like ours, that historically has been, uh, was dry. You know what that means, right? They didn't sell alcohol. And, and then one local businessman decided to build a tavern. Well, a group of Christians uh, apparently uh, were concerned about that. They, they didn't like that. So they, they planned an all-night prayer meeting. By the way, they must have been Baptists. I don't know. They must have been Baptists. So they, they planned a prayer meeting all night to ask God to intervene. And it just so happened that that night, lightning struck the bar and burned it down to the ground. And you know what happened? The bar owner sued the church, claiming that the prayers of the congregation were responsible for the destruction of his building. (laughs) So the church hires a lawyer to argue that they weren't responsible. The presiding judge, in his initial review of the case, stated this, quote, No matter how this case comes out, one thing is clear. The tavern owner believes in prayer, and the Christians do not. That reminds me of this early church, right? I mean, they're praying for Peter to be released, and they don't believe that he's going to be released. But you know what, friends? Even if our prayers are not full of faith like they should be, we can still gather together in prayer, and God may still answer. We'll skip ahead to chapter 13, just one chapter ahead. In Acts chapter 13, we see the Holy Spirit calling out two men, Paul and Barnabas, to be essentially the first missionaries of the, of the local church. The local church now begins to eye the Great Commission to send people out into all the nations. The Holy Spirit says, I want Paul and Barnabas, and the church in Antioch sends them off with prayer. Chapter 13, verse 3. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. See, in this scene, prayer is a vital part, not only of praying for the, for the ministries within the church, but of praying for the ministries outside of the church or, or the, uh, supporting the missionaries that the local church sends off. So if praying for missions and missions work is a part of the, uh, of the, of the early church, how much more should it be for ours, right? Finally. Let's take a look at a few more instances. In chapter 14, just one chapter ahead. In chapter 14, we see that prayer was a big part of both the work and the support of the leadership of the early church. In chapter 14, taking a look at verse 23. 
we see Paul and Barnabas, remember, they were commissioned to go out as missionaries to plant churches and share the gospel. That's exactly what they do. And in chapter 14, we see them planting churches, and then they return to those churches that they had already planted to establish leadership, to appoint elders. And we see in verse 23 that they did so with prayer. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church, and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. See, this reveals to us that local church leaders need the prayerful support of their people. So friends, let me humbly ask you as your pastor, please pray for me. Please pray for me, but not just me. Pray for our elders, and not just our elders. Pray for our deacons, and not just our deacons. Pray for our Sunday school leaders. Pray for all of those who play leadership roles within this church. We desperately need it, and it's biblical. Well, Mathis, again, wraps up this look at the corporate prayer life seen in the book of Acts by saying this. He says, Our need for God's help today is no less than the early churches. And praying together remains a vital means of God's ongoing grace in the Christian life and for our communities, right? If the early church needed to pray together, how much more do we? Well, we've seen Jesus' example, right? He prayed with his disciples. He taught us to pray corporately. We see that his first followers in the church did that, right? So let's close our time now by looking at seven prophets of prayer. Seven benefits, if you will. Seven possible outcomes of praying together corporately. What might God do if we as a church decide to come together and pray. What might God do? Well, I think we see seven prophets, if you will, seven benefits in the New Testament for the praying church. You know, I don't know about you, but uh, we're coming upon, uh, for me personally, just one of my favorite seasons of the year. It's starting to get cooler outside, which is nice. The leaves are starting to turn, and it's beautiful, right? And we're anticipating holidays. We're anticipating uh, uh, Thanksgiving. We're anticipating Christmas, and I suppose you could anticipate Halloween you want. I don't anticipate it very much, but the kids anticipate Halloween, right? It's the holiday season, one per month, right? And I, I, I love that. Um, but you know which one is my favorite? It's not Halloween, that's for sure. And uh, it's not Christmas, although I love Christmas. Probably my favorite holiday is Thanksgiving. And uh, it's not because I'm uber spiritual and like super thankful, although I want to be. I'll just be flat honest. I like Thanksgiving because you get to eat a lot, I just like it. I like eating a lot. In particular, I like Thanksgiving food. It's wonderful. I love it. It's like my favorite meal, turkey and dressing, and I won't keep going on and on and on. But you get what I'm speaking of, right? I can't wait to be with my family all day long as the meal is being prepared and prepped and cooked and having the the kind of delicious smell of all of the turkey and dressing and trimmings and fixings wafting throughout the house wetting my appetite in anticipation for the feast to come. You know what I'm talking about? I hope you do, because it's good stuff. So friends, here's what I'm hoping. Here's what I'm hoping for this last little section that we're going to endeavor here. My prayer is that our spiritual appetites will be wet as we hear the sound of truth wafting through the sanctuary of, as to what could happen, what could be, if we pray together. 
seven things. The first, when we pray together, we pray together for greater power. For greater power. You likely have heard somebody quote a portion of Matthew chapter 18, verses 19 and 20. It reads this way. Again, Jesus says, truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. You probably have heard that quoted, or at least a portion of it quoted. It's a wonderful text. Maybe what you haven't heard is the context of that verse, which is basically this promise, this promise, this agreement that Jesus speaks of is actually a local church gathering together to excommunicate an unrepentant professing Christian. That's basically what Jesus is talking about here. However, there is a deeper truth, and it relates to prayer. The deeper truth or principle is that when we gather together, there is added power to our prayers when we unite together in prayer. In fact, in fact, John Mott says this. He says, if added power attends the united prayers of two or three, what mighty triumphs there will be when hundreds of thousands of consistent members of the church are with one accord day after day making intercession for the extension of Christ's kingdom. So friends, when we gather together in prayer, we pray with greater power than we pray alone. But not only for greater power, we pray together for greater glory, right? Just as praying together adds power to the prayer request, praying together adds glory to God when that request is answered, right? Because more and more people thank God for answering their prayer request, We see this happening in 2 Corinthians. You don't have to turn there. You can look on the screen behind me. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, the tail end of verse 10 and into verse 11, we see Paul making this exact argument. He says this, On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. Notice, as you help us by your prayers, then what will happen? Then many, notice that, then many will give thanks on our behalf. For the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. That's simply what Paul is saying. He's saying when many people gather together and they make requests of God, when he answers those requests, God gets greater glory because many more people are saying, God, thank you for answering our prayer. We pray together, yes, for greater power and glory, but number three, we pray together for greater joy. For greater joy. See, shared joy is multiplied joy. Shared joy is multiplied joy. Paul said to the Corinthian church that his ministry to them and with them was for their joy. Same chapter, a little bit later. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 24. He says, Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, because it is by faith that you stand firm. So, friends, when we come together to pray together, right, to pray with others, not Not only is our joy increased as we pray together, but our brother's and our sister's joy is increased as well. So we pray together for greater power, for greater glory, for greater joy. And number four, for greater fruit, for greater fruitfulness. See, Paul repeatedly in his letters to his churches, he repeatedly requests that they pray for him in his sharing of the gospel. Just one example is found in Colossians chapter 3, verse 4. Uh, Colossians chapter 4, verse 3. Paul says this, And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. So, 
Have you ever thought about this? Have you ever asked the question, why did Paul ask the local churches to pray for him? Do you think that Paul spent time in prayer for his own ministry and for his own sharing the gospel? Shake your head, yes, absolutely. Paul prayed for his own ministry, but that wasn't enough for him, apparently. He wanted others to pray for his ministry in sharing the gospel as well. Why do you think he did that? I think it's because he believed that when, by them joining together with him in prayer, he anticipated that there would be more fruitfulness, right? There would be more people come to place their faith in Christ when more people were praying. So there's a greater fruitfulness. Number five, we pray together for greater unity, for greater unity as a church. Let me ask you a bit of a personal question. It's, there's no right or wrong answer here. When have you felt the closest or most connected to another Christian? Just maybe think about that. When have you felt like you really were close, committed to another Christian? Maybe it was when you were serving alongside them in some ministry, inside or outside the church. It could be. Maybe it was some real uh, kind of honest conversation that you had with them after a time of Bible study, or maybe in a small group, or maybe, maybe it was on a mission trip where you, you shared the gospel with, with fellow Christians. I, I don't know what it is for you, but for me, personally, I have felt the most connected to another believer after a time of prayer. After we got on our knees, humbled ourselves, and sought the Lord together. I don't know about you, but for me, that's when I felt most connected to other Christians, whether it was in high school youth group or college with my friends or roommates or in seminary with a spiritual formation group. I have felt the most connected with other Christians through corporate prayer because prayer unites us. Perhaps there is no greater uniting practice in a church than prayer. Just say that again because I want to impress it upon you. Perhaps there is no greater uniting practice in the church than prayer. Because friends, here's the truth. It's hard to hold grudges against people when you're praying with them regularly. It's hard to be angry and bitter and petty with people that you pray regularly with. See, prayer unites us. Ephesians 4, 3, Paul tells us to quote, we should pursue quote, being diligent. We should be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And prayer is one way that we can preserve that unity. We pray, number six, for greater growth. For greater growth, that is personally speaking. We learn to pray by praying with others. Simply stated, we learn to pray best when we pray in the context of other people. We listen to how they pray. We hear the words that they use. We see their heart as they open themselves up before the Lord. And we get to know them and we learn how to pray because we are praying with other people. Dr. Dr. D.A. Carson one of the best New Testament scholars, evangelical scholars there is. He's up at, uh, in Deerfield at Trinity Evangelical. He once said this. He said, public praying, public praying is a pedagogical opportunity. Now, if you don't know what, what pedagogical means, it simply means it's a learning opportunity. When we pray with others, it is a learning opportunity. I remember when I first became a Christian, I was a teenager, 15, 16, and uh, uh, I've spoken of my good friend, uh, Billy Cash, before, kind of a mentor. I learned to pray by praying with him. 
I had no idea how to pray. Never prayed before. Placed my faith in Christ. And he said, Trey, you need to pray. And I said, okay, how do I do that? And he said, well, come over and we'll pray. I said, great. So we came over and uh, I remember spending, spending many uh, an afternoon after school uh, just in his bedroom, hanging out, talking, you know, goofing off. But then we would pray. We pray together. And, and, and he would say, let's pray. And I said, you pray and I'll listen. He said, okay. And he would pray and I would just listen. And I would soak up his experience and his maturity and his language. One thing that, that always kind of stands out is that he would address God in his prayers by saying, Father God. I just remember that, right? It just stands out in my mind. Father God. And so when I started praying out loud, guess how I addressed God? Father God, right? It just naturally came because we learn to pray by praying with others. Finally, final benefit of praying together for greater knowledge, for greater knowledge. We know Jesus better when we pray with others to him. Because our own experiences, our own personalities, our own backgrounds often blinds us to certain glories of Jesus that when we pray with other people can be revealed to us. Does that make sense? We learn to know Jesus better when we pray with other followers of his. Pastor Tim Keller says this way. He says, by praying with friends, you will be able to hear and see facets of Jesus that you have not yet perceived. So what a glorious thing it is that we pray together. And when I hear you pray, and when you hear me pray, my eyes might be opened to a a particular aspect of who God is, who Jesus Christ is, that I had just never known before. And we learn that by praying together. So what have we seen? Jesus prayed with his followers. He taught his followers to pray together. Those followers then went and did exactly what he said. They prayed together in the book of Acts. And when they did, we saw and see all sorts of things happening. There was greater power. There was greater glory to God. There was greater joy amongst us. There was greater fruit in our praying. There was greater unity when we pray. There was growth and there's greater knowledge of Jesus. So friends, friends, let's not just pray individually, by our, ourselves, in our prayer closet. Let's do that. Let's, let's start there. Let's not leave it there. Let's pray together. Let's be Christians. Let's pray together now. Father, we pray that you would stir our hearts towards this end, that we would emulate the early church as they consistently and regularly found your favor through prayer. We ask it in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Here's how we're going to here's how we're going to close. I'm going to ask you to stand. Let's stand as we've been doing and let's repeat. Say together Jude chapter uh, Jude verses 20 and 21. Uh, sort of a, a benediction together. Let's let's read this together. Are we ready? But you dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. God's people said, amen. See you next week.